Welcome to the LFC Podcast, where our mission is to make, deploy, and multiply mature and equipped Christ followers. We're grateful for this opportunity to bring you a message of hope, healing, and life transformation today. Enjoy the message. could have worshiped all night you uh pastor daryl said it right to find a group of men who will say jesus christ my living hope and it filled the whole room uh, you can't buy that you don't see it everywhere so um thank you for worship tonight thank you for leading worship tonight and um i want to get right to the word because i know that's what we come to hear this evening it's good to see all my friends uh, that are here, those I know, have known for a long time. Chuck is an honorary Kentuckian now, and so we're glad that uh, Miamisburg is here. And I am great friends with your pastor, Pastor Daryl. I love him, and I believe he loves what he does because he loves the Lord. And uh, for those of you that I've met, thank you for being here this evening. Thank you for all the hospitality. You guys that put this on have done an outstanding job. A welcoming people, and uh, I ate my barbecue, and uh, thankful for the good barbecue. I didn't get a hole in one. I'm not Pastor Daryl, but uh, it was great this evening, uh, all the work that has went into tonight. I'm honored to be here, and I want to deliver to you what I feel like the Lord spoke to me. I didn't drive uh, almost four hours to not talk about what the Lord has done. I'm very thankful what God has done, and Daryl invited me to this uh, back in the spring, Late summer, I'm excited uh, to be here and have been looking forward to tonight. You know, you never know when you go to a men's event because you're always wondering, will there be very many men there? Will it be a small men's event? And you guys have blew it out of the water. So thank you so much for your worship tonight, for being here. If you would, I want you to stand and turn to the book of Daniel with me, to the book of Daniel. Everybody knows the book of Daniel, and um, I don't want you to think that this is a a message maybe that you might not have heard before. Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. If you haven't found the name of the brother, stand next to you. Ask that real quick. Find out who you're with. If you're with somebody you rode with, get with somebody else. Get to know each other. Daniel 6. Familiar scripture. I hope the familiarity of the scripture doesn't Limit it in your mind of what the Lord wants to do, what he wants to say to you. And um, I'm going to read the 10th through the 16th verse. I believe they'll have that on the slide. If not, we'll go with it. Daniel 6, 10 through 16. Now, when Daniel knew what was the written and it was signed, he went home. In his upper room, with his windows open, toward Jerusalem... He knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before God, as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled together and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any God or man within 30 days Except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. The king answered and said, The thing is true. 
according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, that Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. And the king, when he heard these things, was greatly displeased with himself and set his heart to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached and said to the king, Know, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Father, thank you so much for your word. May your, your presence be here as it has been. May it continue to be here. Help me to do a good job in a little bit of time to speak your word to these men, to these men of God. May we have a great time in your spirits now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, <laughs> have, uh, have the fellow next to you stand up and look at him and try to push him a little bit and say, stay steady, brother. Don't push him down. Stay steady, brother. Amen. I want to preach tonight with the help of the Lord on staying steady and uh, try to do it to the best of my abilities. And I hope that there's something that as you're going home tonight, whether you rode in a van or with somebody or even by yourself, have a talk with the Lord. Ask him about what has been said. Chew it up. You know, sometimes people say, well, I got everything I need to get at the service. Not really. I have some of my best conversations in the car on the way home. Not only with my wife, who thinks she's Holy Spirit Junior, but with myself, right? It's a privilege uh, to be with you men this weekend. Today was a heavy day, and um, I told the church, I, I don't typically make things for the kids, uh, simple things, but they've been out all day and we're trying to come home and I put some pizza rolls. Everybody like pizza rolls. I hadn't ate pizza rolls since I was a long since I was little, and I put them in a thing called the air fryer, trying to be a good dad. And when the air fryer went off, I took the pizza rolls out. They didn't feel real hot, so I popped one in my mouth just to try it out, to bring back memories. And the inside gets like liquid lava on pizza rolls and so I bit into it the whole roll and that whatever's in the middle that goodness shot out and the top of my mouth is melty still and so I told my wife I said I feel like I've ate a whole bowl of Captain Crunch some of you Captain Crunch lovers know what I'm talking about it's it's hanging in in uh, in my mouth and so um tonight if I if you hear me kind of Say words that don't make sense, I'll go back and repeat them because my tongue is trying not to hit the roof of my mouth uh, thanks to a good old pizza roll injury. 
I'll not do that again. My son, I said, those are hot. He said, yeah, dad, you have to open them first. He, he pulls them open and lets them cool. I didn't know that neat trick that he does. But it is great to be here this evening, and I, I do want to do a good job and to bless you tonight. I want the Holy Spirit to speak to you. If we need anything in today, it's to be spoken to by the Holy Spirit. And I pray that God would unleash the men in this area on mission. Not just to be a dad, not just to be a husband. Those things are all important. But to be men on mission. And to know why the Holy Spirit has called you. As the old coach, when I was in high school, say, I want you to leave it all in the field. That's what I want you to do. Whether that's the field of your life, your marriage, your home, your career, your friendship. You shouldn't go home and think, I could have gave a little bit more. I want you to leave it all in the field, no matter what field you play in. On a Friday night, I believe on this field, we can leave it all. We can make sure that we've not took anything home with us, and we've given it all to Jesus. And I'm here, I thought, Lord, why would you want me to go? I'm just here to remind you of some things this evening. I'm convinced in life we don't need to learn something new quite as much as we need to be reminded of what we already know. And everybody talking seems to want to tell us something new. Well, that's great, but sometimes we forget we forget what we should know. And we just need to be reminded of what we know. I believe every man here, every man who claims the life of Christ is capable of doing amazing things. And I know that's not popular. We don't hear that a lot now, that every guy on TV is made out to be an idiot. But I believe every man here is capable of doing amazing things for your home and for the kingdom. I believe that as men, as a man, I don't have as much trouble knowing and trusting God as I do knowing and trusting myself. We don't trust ourselves. We don't know ourselves. To borrow from those great philosophers of old, know thine own self. Sometimes that's the hardest person to know. We seem to know about everybody else in church, everybody in our friend group, but we don't know ourselves. And if we do, we certainly don't trust ourselves because we know what a mess we make. There's a lesson that I learned um, growing up on the farm. I grew up on a farm in Kentucky, and I thought about it for this, for this session tonight. I grew up doing something that nobody really does anymore. It's a bygone era. When I talk about it, especially in church world, everybody thinks it's sinful. I grew up on a tobacco farm. We raised the dirty, nasty tobacco. Now, we raised it for medical purposes, for sure, <laughs> But we sold it like they did for cigarettes. <laughs> we raised tobacco. As a kid, I hated it. I couldn't wait to get out of the farm and not do tobacco farming anymore. And now nobody does tobacco farming anymore. The government has just about sold that. But when I grew up, there was phases in farming. And um, if you look at some of the pictures I gave to the screen... One of the things that we would do was we would follow behind the setter. Anybody ever set tobacco before? Raise your hand. Praise God, two of us. All right. 
The job as a kid was to follow behind the setter. Now, the setter was something you set on to put the plants in, but to follow behind was a horrible job. It was in the heat, and you use your feet a lot, and you walk behind the rows of the setter, and your job was sometimes the setter didn't cover up a plant like it was supposed to. And you know what the result of that would be? A dead plant. So we had to kick around dirt as we walked behind the setter. It was hot. It was hotter than a devil's armpit out there all day. And you would throw dirt claws at each other, and then you'd throw dirt claws at the people on the setter because you're mad at them, and that's usually your aunt or your grandma, so you got in trouble. And we had to follow behind the set. But the goal one day was to be papa or dad because they got to drive the tractor. <laughs> oh, I wanted to drive the tractor. But the job was follow the setter. So me and my cousin, who would fight like cats and dogs, had to follow behind the setter and kick dirt. Tell you the truth, I don't know that I covered up very many plants like I was supposed to. I hated it. And as I got older, I got moved to the setter. The setter, you do exactly what you think. You sit. But it didn't make the job any easier. Your job was to take plants out of the out of the tray and put them in this thing that pinched your hands if you left it in there too long. This mechanical thing as the tractor went. And there would be a hole that the setter would put the plant in and your job was this thing is coming around. These pinchers were coming around all the time and you had to keep up with the pinchers. And the people who were following the setter, their job was to bring the float trays over to your, to your set. They did all the work, supposedly. And you put all the plants in there. And I did that for a while thinking, man, I finally arrived. I'm on the setter. This is where everybody wants to be. Look at all you peons having to walk behind the tractor. Ha, ha, ha. But I was pinching my hands to death. And I still wanted to be on the tractor. Papaw would lean behind. This is a setter. This is that picture that thing would pinch. And Papaw would be on the tractor and he would slow down and speed up. And every time we got behind, he would holler at us. What's going on back there? Time is, y'all heard it too. And sometimes you get in such a hurry, I'd, <laughs> I, I hate to admit this, but I would put the plan in upside down so the people falling behind would have something to do because they had to bend down then and turn it over and cover it up. So when they got to bragging about not having to cover, I'd put one up, so I'm horrible. And I would do two or three of those and then they would yell at Papa. He don't have a plant. Mm. And I had to turn them right. It was great to be on the setter, but there was even a better job than being the setter. We had people who walked beside the setter to make sure that everything the setters needed was accompanied and everything that the followers needed was accompanied. That was a good job. And so I eventually got moved to that job where I walked beside the setter and I'm still hot and I'm still walking and I have all these people complaining. I have the people that follow complaining. I have the people that are setting complaining. And there's Papa driving the tractor. Until finally, my papa at breakfast one morning said, Sean, will you drive the tractor this morning and go set the lower field? Well, <laughs> yes, I will. I was probably 11 or 12 years old, and I had a group of five people who were going to be working with me, plus followers. They had to listen to everything I said. So I slapped down my biscuits and gravy that morning, thinking I finally have arrived. I'm the boss. And I went to the lower field, 
And all my workers, get your drink early because you're going to work with me all day. I mean, I was a mean boss. And as we started, there's more to driving the tractor than turning around looking and hollering like Papa. You got to keep it straight. My first couple rows look like a drunk man had been out in the field. I was everywhere because I'm turning around constantly being the boss. Until finally my aunt was on the setter and she said, Sean, just drive the tractor and shut up. <laughs> They're a lot straighter after that shut up. But I'm doing a whole team and I thought there was a lesson in life of all of those stages of following the setter, of being on the setter, of walking by the setter, and then of being the tractor. And I thought, in life, I've used lessons from the tobacco field. There's times when I've had to be following and not wanted to do it. There's times when I thought, well, I'll arrive when I'm on the setter and then realize, well, that's a job too. And then there was times walking beside the setter when I had to watch other people doing what I thought I could do better. But my job was just as important as theirs to keep walking. And then finally, when I've arrived, I'm on the tractor. I wanted to be back in the field walking. Because I was responsible for more than what I thought. And I thought, you know, there is, in life, there are times when you are training people to walk behind the setter, training people, mentoring people, discipling people to be setters. And there's times that they, that they become, and there's times that you're leading the tractor. But all of those stages where God has you, you never get to rest. You don't get to take a day off. You know what 2020 showed us? I say this all the time. 2020, when everybody went crazy and the world fell apart in 2020, Azusa Street had happened in 1906. We were 114 years into this thing called Pentecost as we know it. And we made disciples that lasted one week before they complained. You know what that means? We had a whole bunch of people who were discontented following, setting, and driving the tractor. And when the field was shifted... Everybody got upset. Discipleship went out the window. People turned on the guy on the tractor, a.k.a. the pastor, and thought, well, I can drive the tractor better than everybody can drive the tractor. I can disciple better than everybody can disciple. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, I don't care where you are, pastoring, sitting on a seat, collecting money as an usher, whatever, opening the door, welcoming people, we all have a part to play to stay steady. In this thing called Jesus, in this thing called my faith, in this person that we love that we just sung about, Jesus Christ, my living hope, there will be times when he asks you, will you follow behind the setter? Or will you drive the tractor? Daniel is following the process, training others to do what he had done. It's the key of leadership. Men who not only do the work of leading, but also create leaders who come behind them. It's a growth process. We don't like that word as men, process. It's a growth process. Anybody ever heard the phrase going steady? Oh, I'm getting way old now. Going steady means what? Dating. Sparking. As we would call it back in Kentucky, right? Sparking. They're sparking. Now, when we said that, we meant they're going together. But before that, after World War II, going steady meant you had a steady girlfriend or a steady boyfriend. And they were steady. You didn't mess with steady. Steady was steady. Steady, 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 steady. They're always going to be steady. It wasn't until about the mid-'80s that began to die out, and we just said going together. 
And then we've changed it again to booze and bays and honey booze and whatever they'll say are. Or, or just say, that's my man. That's my baby daddy. <laughs> we've come a long way. <laughs> I'm learning it, man. My kids are in high school, and at the last football game, my daughter was walking around with a boy. I said, who is that? Nobody. No, he's somebody. I saw you at halftime. You're a cheerleader. Who is he? Oh, that's so-and-so, and you know him. And I'm like, I don't know him. Oh, you met him. I might have met him, but I don't know him. Why are you walking around with him? Oh, he's just a friend. We're not like a thing. <laughs> I know you're not like a thing. Who is he? Oh, he's just a friend. He's just a friend. And so I started asking around all of our friends, who's this boy? And they're all like, They told me his name. I said, I know his name. What do you know about him? <laughs> I said, does he get in trouble at school? I don't know. Has he ever been called the office? Maybe. I, you know, ask him. I already asked him. I'm asking you. Who is this guy? I want to know because I don't want my daughter to come up to me. She'll never say, Dad, can I go steady with him? But I don't want her to be a boo or a bay or whatever, a honey boo, whatever it is. Without knowing who this guy is, I want her to be steady. Before World War II, people would play the field. They would have more than one girlfriend. We changed that again to, to being a player or play in the field. You're going on different dates, but steady is different. Listen, steady is secured. It's fixed. Steady could be defined as this. I'm not looking for anything different. I'm sold out to steady. Now we say, well, when you're married, of course you are. No, you can be steady in other places of your life. In your faith, men, you should be steady. You're not looking for a new God to date. You're looking for a culture would have to peddle in magazines. No, I'm steady with Jesus. I'm fixed with him. Steady in life isn't always glamorous. Being a steady person will rarely get you in front of the camera. Nobody interviews steady people. Nobody talks to steady people. Steady is the work you do when you're walking through the valley. Steady is walking every step, even when every step hurts. It's believing that you've committed to something worth staying attached to, even when it doesn't feel like it. I'm steady. The choice of commitment to remain steady. Now, I got to tell you, being steady will land you into some scenarios you didn't want to be in. It'll land you into choices you never thought you'd have to make. Choices of whether you'll go with the quickness of what's happening or with the steadiness of the God you know. It reminds me of a story that you probably all have heard or told at some point. It's an old story, 1424. That's a long time ago. I don't think anybody was born then. In 1424, they told a story in England called the tortoise and the hare. You've heard it. It's an old story. It's got a bunch of variations. Google it, I dare you. There's some where, I mean, it gets bad. But the story I was told is probably the story you were told. That everybody marked out the lane where they're supposed to run through the woods. And the hare challenged the tortoise to a race. And all the animals were there ready to cheer them on. They had water, whatever they had. 
and the fire gun went off. I don't know who fired it, the owl or whoever. And the rabbit took off like lightning, right? You with me so far? And the tortoise was slow and steady. And the rabbit got so far ahead that he decided, I'm light years ahead of the tortoise. I have time to take a nap. And the tortoise or the hare leaned back against the tree, folded his ears over his eyes. And the whole time the tortoise was slow and steady. And in the storybook, the tortoise passes where the hare is taking a nap. You've heard this, right? And the hare, the rabbit, wakes up and what? He runs to try to beat this tortoise. But lo and behold, in the storybook I read, when the, when the rabbit gets to the finish line, the tortoise has already crossed. And everybody's cheering. And the hare says, how in the world? You're as slow as dirt. Could you beat me, the mighty hare? And we love the tortoise because all the animals say, slow and steady wins the race. You know, that was told in 1424 in England. The first place it was told was the Bible in Ecclesiastes. The race is not to the swift. He might as well say, the race will never belong to the rabbit. It'll always belong to people who are slow yet steady. They win the race. Slow and steady. Your point that I want you to chew on tonight, in some seasons, we are the tortoise longer than we want to be. Daniel in the scripture had to wonder, and you may not think he did, but I think he did, if there was any end to him being the tortoise. I have done what God wanted. He grew up in Jerusalem, but he's lived in Babylon for the last 64 years. He's an 80-year-old man. He has followed what God wanted him to do. He saw God do amazing things in the past, but he saw other people be the hare in life who seemed quicker than him. They had the race all figured out. So figured out they could nap, but he's the tortoise. He's slow and steady. He's not letting up on an important word that we all need to be reminded of. He's consistent in his life. The Babylonians invaded and destroyed. They took away the very best that Israel had to offer. And not only wanted to crush Israel, they wanted to transform Israel. He'd been a part of all that. And that's what we face in our families today, to erase men. To erase your purpose. A real quick search of New York Times, and I don't know if you read the New York Times, but New York Times ran an article just a little bit ago that said, are men really still necessary? And the lady wrote, the short answer is no. Men are on earth solely to preserve the species, but there is enough DNA in sperm banks to last for ages. Advances in cryogenics and turkey basting have rendered males largely obsolete. What? 
What? Oh, there's a bunch of articles. You can search them on there. It's one after another of women who say, we really don't need men. We only need men to procreate, and we have that figured out. So men are just taking up oxygen. And I would say, those people have lost their mind. Do we need men? Absolutely. Do we need men who don't know how to be men? No, we have enough boys. We need men who say, I have a God-given purpose to lead my family, my home, my church, my city, everything about me. I am a man, and I'm not sorry that I'm a man. I'm not obsolete. I'm not something just to preserve the species. I don't care how much sperm you have in DNA banks. I'm not here to donate sperm to DNA banks. I'm here to be the man God called me to be. And I believe Daniel was that kind of man. A consistent, a steady man. He had saw his three friends have consistency and steadiness. And he watched what happened to them. They were led to the outpost of a furnace. Now, the average fire burns somewhere between 900 and 4,800 degrees. And the Bible says this fire was heated hotter than any fire before. Now, Kentucky math tells me, but if you take 4,800 degrees times seven, that's hot. Some like it hot. They had it really hot. And he watched that them being steady led their steps to the furnace. But he watched God show up in the middle and bring his supernatural to their steady. You guys, we read that, we breeze over it, we hear people talk about it. I'm, I want you to know, they didn't even smell like smoke. Meaning what? When God does it, he does it. And they did the smell test over them when they brought them out of the fire. Don't you all know that? You know when your neighbors are having a cookout, don't you? I do. You can smell it. I tried to burn. We moved. I burned some wood in my backyard for a little campfire. And the fire chief came because our new neighbors called the fire chief. Because they smelled fire. <laughs> yeah, you probably do because we're burning wood. Is it illegal? Well, no, no, it's not illegal. It's just, you know, you need to let somebody know. Since when? Who am I going to let know? I'm going to call the fire department every time I have a campfire and say I'm fixing to burn something? No, I, don't, I, don't, I still don't call anybody. My neighbors have learned when they smell smoke, Sean's doing it again. And I try, they all, I don't care if they live Two roads over, they smell smoke. I'm telling you, these three boys came out and they went over the smell test. And they were mad. You don't even smell like smoke. And I love their answer. God, God was with us in the furnace. In fact, it come from the lips of the atheist king himself. Did we not cast three men into the furnace? Yes, O king, behold, I see four men loosed and walking around, and one is like the Son of God. 
Daniel, Daniel had learned how to stay steady. Belshazzar had lost his life. The Medes and Persians took over. He saw a government administration change. Hello. He saw how a government ruled. He had went from he had went from Nebuchadnezzar to Belshazzar to Darius. He had lived through three presidents who all did things differently. But what was Daniel? Steady. He was steady in who God was. Regardless of who was calling the shots from the palace, Daniel learned the benefit of keeping a steady pace. How did he learn that? 64 years of trusting God. That it doesn't matter what the king says. All that matters is what God says. And kings can set up furnaces and take down furnaces, but God is the God who shows up in furnaces. Every time it switched, he stayed steady for 64 years. And don't think that within those six decades, somebody didn't offer him brochures of new gods, of cooler gods, of faster gods. It reminded me of this. How many of you were alive in 1985? All of you, just about. 1985 is known as the greatest historical ad blunder of all time. Put the picture up there. Our great people running back there. They introduced New Coke in 1985. It was everywhere. For you people who weren't alive in 1985, let me tell you, Coke had declined for 15 years. Pepsi was leading them for 15 years. And Coke gathered the smartest and the brightest in the room and said, what do we do? And they said, well, you've, got, you've had the same recipe for 99 years. I think we ought to change the recipe a little. And they came up with New Coke. Now, you don't understand. New Coke was everywhere in 1985. Magazines, billboards, China, Japan. We're going to release this in April. They had all the celebrities of 1985 drinking New Coke. New Coke was anticipated. They took all the Coke off the shelf, but New Coke, New Coke. Every store had New Coke. And so they released it April 23rd, 1985. There was only one problem with New Coke. It tasted horrible. They did all the testing except for actually drinking it. And they realized, oh, God. New Coke, the savior of Coca-Cola, lasted for 79 days. And in those 79 days, there's tons of protests. People went to the store and boycotted grocery stores and took all the old Coke off the shelf and hoarded it up like they did toilet paper in 2020. It was, it was, we all want old Coke. The, the CEO of Coke received letters. You can Google them. Letters from people saying they called him the chief dodo of the Coca-Cola company. Bring back the old Coke. We want the old Coke. And so they listened. 79 days in, they put old Coke back out on the shelf, but nobody trusted them. They said, this is still new Coke in old Coke cans. <laughs> so, you know what Coca-Cola had to do? They had to take all that off the shelf, and they had to reissue Coke. And that's why your cans today say Coca-Cola Classic. Because when people saw classic at the bottom of the Coke, they knew it was the old recipe. But for 79 days, they tried something new. 
Now, when they put classic Coke back on the shelf, this is amazing. It, this is why the marketing, even though it was bad, it worked. Because people bought Coca-Cola Classic more than they ever had in the history because they remembered how good the old Coke tasted. And since then, since 1985, Coke has led Pepsi by leaps and bounds of the soft drink. Why? Because they were boneheaded and tried to mess with it. Don't tell me that in 64 years living in Babylon that somebody hadn't come along with a new Coke God brochure. Come on, Daniel. You still do that old stuff? You still believe in Holy Spirit stuff? You still believe in Pentecost that God still shows up on? Yeah, I still believe that. I'm staying steady with it. You still believe God calls young people to ministry? Yep, still believe that. Come home from camp. My 14-year-old daughter sitting in the back seat. She said, Dad, God called me at camp. I said, God called you at camp. God called me to be a children's worker at camp. I pulled over to the side of the road, hug her as hard as I can to say, honey, I know God has a calling on your life. I want to celebrate this moment with you. People say, well, she's too young. She just turned 14. There's no, are you kidding me? God will call people when he calls people. I've stayed faithful to him. Being faithful does not exempt you from things like lion's dens. That's not the way we want it to be. We want it to, I want it to be the end of the story. I want Daniel, I wish the book would end there. And Daniel was faithful and he rode off in the sunset with a cowboy hat and everybody lived happily ever after. Why they have to throw him to the lions? Last point, expectations should not be dependent on exemption. Guys, <laughs> it's gonna get rough. We need disciples, not churchgoers. We need disciples who will disciple their sons, who will disciple their grandsons, who will take their granddaughters, who will take their daughters and tell them, this way is steady and slow, but it will win the race. Listen, it's not just the lines. Those are bad enough. Those are bad enough in the dark, hearing lions purr and growl. But think of what the enemy had done to the mind of Daniel on the outskirts of the lion's den. He's not only after your situation, he's after your mind. How easy would it have been for Daniel to get there and say, you know what, I'm just kidding. I'm old, I'm 80, they sound really hungry. What do you need me to sign? But God shows up in his supernatural to your steady. The last thing Daniel heard, they open the door, he hears the lions roaring. The last thing Daniel hears is a, is a king who doesn't know God. Lean down into his ear. Daniel, the God that you serve, he will deliver you. Isn't that just like your God? That you can hear the voices of everybody else telling you you can't do it, but he makes sure before you walk the walk, somebody reminds you, no, the God you serve, he will deliver you. 
And so when he walks in that, and they shut the door and it's dark because there ain't no lights back then. And he hears lions going around him. The last human voice he heard was the God that I serve. He will deliver me. And heaven released an anesthesia in the room and all the lions went to sleep. And you know the story. The next day, the king says, are you alive? And he says, O king, live forever. My God has shut the lion's mouth. He had a decision to make. And I, listen, you'll hear great preaching and teaching, but you, I don't care if you're 8 or 80, have a decision to make. Will you stay steady? Or will you be the hare? It's hard. Daryl, it's hard to watch people who seem to be quicker than you and doing better than you and faster than you. And they're, they, they've, they've got it, man, they've got it all where they need it to be. And your lot in life is to stay steady. I want to be one who always makes the right decision to stay steady. I know it's not popular, and I know that there's a whole lot of more famous people that are hares in life. But the race is not to the swift. It's to he that endures. When Daniel went home, I want you to know I don't have a trick Bible. The king said, anybody who does this is condemned. And he opened the windows toward Jerusalem. And the Bible says, your Bible says, or it should. If it don't, you need a new Bible. Says he knelt before God three times a day toward the east. Now, that's strange. Because in his day, he did what we did in worship. When you were talking to God, you stood with arms raised up. But the Bible says he knelt. That's strange. I had to look it up. Why would he kneel? When a Hebrew would kneel under the old covenant, when they would get on their knees, here's what they were saying. I'm in total submission to you. Now, now get this. I not only accept where I am, but I willfully accept where you will lead me to. Oh, that's different. A prayer like this is surrender. I'm here. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Praise God. You're my hope. Kneeling to a Hebrew is saying, God, I don't understand why I'm here, but I'm submitted to you having me here. And on my knees, I'll crawl if I have to to where you're telling me to go. Daniel did that three times. And the whole point that spoke to my heart was, I'd rather be anywhere but here. But God's still looking for men who will kneel and say, I don't know why I'm here, 
I don't understand why my family's in shape it's in. I don't understand why life is where it is. But I'm totally submitted to you in this moment. And God, where were you taking me to? I'm ready to go. Now, little did he know that was a lion's den. But he said, where were you take me? I'm willing to go. And the only thing he had between the kneeling and the lions was one voice. Your God will deliver you. His eyes were on Jesus. And let this be something you remember while you're looking up to God to help you. There's always somebody under you plotting your downfall. He had no idea his friends were plotting his downfall. And the enemy, the enemy was trying to break his consistency. You have a story of God's supernatural meeting your steady. Your testimony. Think about it. Think of all the testimonies you've heard growing up. Or maybe you need them. In every one of them, God's supernatural met somebody's steady. I grew up, would go to church with my grandma, scared me to death. I was a Methodist boy. My grandma was Pentecostal. Jesus only Pentecostal. They're a special brand. And they would always have testimony time. Anybody else grew up like that? In my grandma's little country church, brother and sister Dummett, I love to say their names. In the corner, there was wires that ran out that they fed through, and there was always, like, electricity. That's where the bats come out of the attic. And we're glad brother and sister Dummett sat there. And as a kid on the back row, we would make fun of all the Pentecostal people. That's what we did. We knew who was going to do what. But there was something different when Brother Dummett would stand. He was an old farmer. He'd have his ribbed overalls on, the shirt underneath of him. He'd say, I was out on the tractor today, and God stopped me in the middle of the field. And I couldn't do nothing but run around the tractor and tell God how good he was. And he would begin to raise both of his hands, and Sister Dummett would stand up, and she would say, she would give God thanks, and she would say, I want everybody in this church to know my husband was a drunk for 30 years. And I was doing dishes and looked out the window. And so I'm running around the tractor with his hands raised, giving God praise. And she said, for 30 years, I never thought he'd be standing right here in this church, but here he is. And that's all it took. Bobby pins went flying. What was she she was given a testimony of God's supernatural meeting her steady. And he wasn't looking for God on the tractor. He was, he, I wasn't praying. I wasn't talking to God. But right there on my tractor seat, the Holy Spirit came down and met me in the middle of a field. Church was over, y'all. There wasn't no preaching. They didn't need to be none. People were giving God glory. And testimonies came forward of God making ways where there was no ways and we didn't get home until after midnight with no preaching it was just God is good and we heard about God healing Lucy's cancer and we heard about God healing Mona's cancer and we heard about God showing up at the grocery store as a kid I remember that they're all in heaven now but those memories are still with me of staying steady and winning the race. 
and they weren't glamorous. You've never heard of them. They didn't go on TV or TBN. But they told about a God who could do anything but fail. That met them on tractors and in fields and doing dishes at sinks. You've got to be willing to walk through any change with the steadiness of Jesus. I'll tell you two things, and I'm going to invite you to prayer. I'm going to invite you to discipleship. The kind of men that I think you are. Um, back during the Revolutionary War, it was just a few years ago. A British officer was eating with an American general. And he was eating with a, a general named General Marion. Now, Marion and his men were eating sweet potatoes. Anybody like sweet potatoes? How about raw sweet potatoes? They were eating raw sweet potatoes that they had tried to roast over what little fire they had. And the British officer asked General Marion, don't you and your forces normally have more to eat? General Marion replied, not more. We usually have less. We never have enough to feed our soldiers. The officer said, then surely you must pay large sums of money for their duties. General Marion replied, not a cent, sir. The British officer said, how on earth then do you stand? General Marion replied, when the heart has been deeply stirred, a man can do anything. Now listen, when a man loves a woman as deeply as Jacob did Rachel, that he could serve for 14 years and it go by like a couple of days, that is my case, sir. Listen, I love this. I am in love and my sweetheart is liberty. I would rather fight for my nation and live on roots than to live in the luxury of Solomon and keep silent. The children of future generations of Americans may never know my name, but with gladness in my heart, I will give my life knowing I am contending for their freedom and their blessings, whether they know me or not. The British officer made it back. His superior called him in and said, what have you learned of our American foes? And why do you look so serious? Has Washington defeated Sir Henry Clinton? No, it's worse, the British officer said. What could be worse than Sir Henry, Henry Clinton being defeated? Listen to his words. I have seen today an American general and his men without pay, without proper clothing, eating roots for food, and drinking rainwater. And they're doing it because they love liberty. This, this is the best word. Therefore, today, I offer my resignation to the crown because we have no chance to fight with men who will do anything for their love. I, I love that. Beyond American liberty and freedom, which we love. I still think we're the greatest nation. How much more should men of God be in love with God? Whether that's 
petals and rainbows and flowers and it all looks good. We all leave here. We're all happy. No, I've got storms. I've got lion's dens still out ahead of me. But I have a God who will meet me with his supernatural if I'll stay steady. I want your eyes when you leave tonight to be on what God will do. Not the people next to you. What God will do. The scripture that I kept hearing driving up here today was 2 Chronicles 20, 12. Oh God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the multitude that is now set against us. And we don't know what to do. Listen to this. But our eyes are on you. (laughs) Woo! Our eyes are on you. You remember when Michael Jordan played the game of basketball? The goat? He changed basketball forever. And he changed the way it was taped forever. For the first time, they had to get a second cameraman at basketball games. I love this. Google it. It's real. Up until then, they taped all the games with one camera until MJ took the court. They hired a second cameraman. All he did, all he did was keep his camera on Michael Jordan. Because the director of the NBA said, you never know what he might do in any game. And we can't miss the film of what he might do. Now there's tons of cameras. But he changed forever from one camera to two. And one guy's job, maybe it was Pastor Daryl. Daryl, your job, we're going to pay you $5 million a year to do what? Just follow Michael Jordan. Because we want to know there's a real of him dunking, of him jumping from the foul line, of his tongue hanging out. We don't want to miss a bit. When I saw that and a ton of other on the last dance, if you haven't watched it, you should watch it. I confer, I concur, I totally agree, whatever the right word is, with Steve Kerr, who said, I was just as competitive as Michael Jordan. I just couldn't play like Michael Jordan. I thought, that's me. I'm as competitive as Michael Jordan, but I can't play like Michael Jordan. I'm Steve Kerr. In 2 Chronicles, they said, I have no idea what we're going to do. And I love the honesty of that scripture. We don't know what to do. All these people are against us. Hey, that's us, guys. Culture is weird. They're against us. We don't know what to do. I don't think arguing is going to win anybody. Our eyes are on you. All of us are that second cameraman for the NBA tonight. I'm not looking at what pastor's doing. I'm not paying attention to what they're doing. My eyes are on God. Why? Because he could do anything at any moment. And I don't want to miss it. Thank you so much for tuning in to the message. If you desire to grow deeper in your faith, we want to help you. Text the word GROW to 419 419- 
495-6802. You can also stay up to date on everything coming up by checking out limafirst.church and hitting the events tab. Lastly, make sure you hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out on any future LFC content. We'll see you next time.